Welcome to A.T. Stewart and Sons Ministries. I'm your host, A.T. Stewart. I'm glad you've chosen to join us today as we look into the Word of God. So take your Bibles and let's hang out in God's Word for a few moments and see what God would say to us today. We are continuing to look at the words of our Lord and Father about how to stand against false teachers. The whole book of Jude was written for this purpose. Uh, that we might know how to stand against the many false teachers that assail us today. And Jude tells us four things that we need to do in order to stand against false teachers, and we will be looking at those as we read beginning in verse 17 of the book of Jude. And the first thing he says is that we must remember the words of the apostles in verse 17 and 18. But you, beloved, ought to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. That they were saying to you in the last days, there will be mockers following after their own ungodly lust. These are the ones who cause divisions, worldly-minded, devoid of the Spirit. Second thing he says, we must remain in God's love. Verse 20, But you, beloved, building yourselves up on the most holy faith, Praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. The third thing, we must reach out to those in spiritual danger. Verse 22, and have mercy on some who are doubting, save others, snatching them out of the fire, and on some have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by their flesh. And now today we are coming to the fourth thing that he says, and that is we must rest in God's greatness. Verse 24, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory and majesty, dominion and authority before all time, and now and forever. Amen. You may be seated. As we look at God's greatness, we see three things that are mentioned in these two verses, 24 and 25. First, he talks about God's great power to keep us from losing our salvation. Now, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling... And then we see God's great promise to make us stand in the presence of His glory blameless. As He goes on to say, and to make you stand in the presence of His glory blameless with great joy. The great promise, the great power of our Lord. Now we looked at these back in March, and so I'm not going to redo these in our series today. You can go back on our website and go back to the sermons in March and you can see as I was doing a series on the believer's eternal security, I dealt with the promise and the power in great detail. So we're going to concentrate today and next week on the great person of our God. As we see in verse 25, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, to the only God. 
If there's one thing that can be said about the American mindset and culture today is they do not know the true God. I'm afraid even those who claim the faith of Jesus and claim to be Christians have a concept of God that is far from the concept of God taught in His Word. They think of God as a heavenly Santa Claus there in heaven, seeing if you're naughty or nice, and if you're nice, He gives you presents and blessings. If you're not, He withholds them or sends hard times. Or they see God as that heavenly grandfather with that beard that's there just to pat you on the head and say, that's okay, son, just keep on trying, keep on going. Or the New Age God, who is the universe, is God. And so there is this consciousness that we need to seek to tap into in order that we might know God. It seems that modern man knows little of the God that is self-existent, infinite, eternal, unchangeable, holy, just, truthful, and filled with holy wrath. Modern man doesn't seem to know what pleases God and what offends God, what stirs up his wrath, and what brings forth his joy and satisfaction. Yet, Jeremiah said, Let the wise man not boast in his wisdom. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. Let not the mighty man boast in his might, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he knows and understands me. God says the most important thing in life is not how much wealth we accumulate, not our stock portfolio, not our retirement account, not the job that we hold, not the friends that we have, not the education that we attain to, but the important thing is that we know him the only true God. And so today, we're going to look at the only God. God, the only God. Now the truth we're going to see today, and if you walk away with this truth, and you apply it, you will have accomplished what I believe God wants us to see today. Because our God is the only God, He requires our supreme love and absolute obedience. Because our God is the only God, He requires from you absolute obedience to His will and the supreme love of your heart. The only God. We're going to see three things about the only God this morning. And the only God in the Greek is monotheo. Now we know mono means one. Monotone, somebody speaks in one tone, right? A monologue is when one person is doing all the talking. And then theo, of course, is the Greek word for God. And we have theology that comes from that, the study of God. And so in the Greek, it's literally only God. The God who is alone, God. Now, three things we're going to see. The only God is, first of all, the God of Scripture. Secondly, He alone is God. And thirdly, He is one God. 
All right? That's where we're going today. First, the only God is the God of Scripture. Now, I stress this because all religions have their God. And since we have the English word God, it can represent many different beings. Just like the Arabic word Allah is their word for God and can represent many different beings. And so we must define the God that we're talking about. Because the Jehovah Witnesses have Jehovah God. And some Christians even refer to God as Jehovah. You've heard that. The Mormons have their gods. Islam has its God, Allah. And we as Christians have our God. So how do we determine what God we're talking about? We must go to the Scriptures to find the only true God. The New Age movement says that the universe is God, and since we're part of the universe, we have God in us, and we need to just get in touch with the world global consciousness, universal consciousness, and as we can bring ourselves in unity with the world consciousness, that then we can experience God in us, and we can, in a sense, be little gods. And that's what the Word of Faith movement teaches. Hey, you're a little God. Well, let me tell you, the God of the Word of Faith movement is not the God of Scripture. The God of the Word of Faith movement, as Kenneth Copeland says, is the greatest failure there's ever been. That's right, I heard him say it myself. He says the greatest failure there's ever been is God. I mean, he lost the greatest angel. He lost a third of the angels in heaven. He lost Adam and Eve. Now, folks, that is blasphemous to say that God is the greatest failure. But that's a God that they have. The God that they have has abdicated his place on the throne and given it over to man. You're a little God. You speak into existence what you want to come into existence. You become God. God does your bidding for you. He has given it over to you. They say that God has to get permission from man in order to come down to earth. That's what they say. That is not the God of Scripture. That's not the God of the Word at all. And so we've got to go to Scriptures and see that the only God is the God of Scripture. Now look at what the Lord Jesus said Himself in John 17 as He was praying. This is eternal life, that they know you, here it comes, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Jesus says that God is the only true God. Now, how can we get to know the only true God? God, because that's what eternal life is, Jesus says, to know you're the only true God in Him whom you've sent. How can we know the only true God? Well, let's put it down on a human level. How can you know me? How can you know me? There are a couple of ways. First, by what I tell you, by my words, what I tell you about myself, right? If, it, if they are true words, then I am revealing something to you. 
Another is by my actions, what I do. Now, we got a little danger, though, when it comes to my actions, because if I don't interpret for you why I'm doing them, you might misunderstand them. For instance, now, when I am in contemplation or when I'm thinking about things, I tend to do my eyebrows like this. Don't do it on purpose, but I do it. Well, I have had people think I was angry at them simply because I was walking down the hall of church and I was thinking about something. And so I was walking down like this and I didn't even notice them, but they passed me. They thought I was acting mad because my brows were furrowed and and, and I didn't speak. Now, they were looking at my actions, but they were misinterpreting my actions because I didn't give them the words to go along with it, right? So, if we're going to know someone, we got to, first of all, they need to speak the word to us about themselves. And then, when they act, we need to be able to look at their actions and see the interpretation of the action. They need to interpret for us why they are doing those things. All right, well, that's how we get to know God. We get to know God because He tells us about Himself. Now, where does He tell us about Himself? Right here. This is all, right here. No place else. God has chosen to reveal Himself to us in these 66 books we call the Holy Bible. The Word of God. We read about His actions, how He deals with people, so we can see His actions and know something about Him from how He acts. But He reveals to us why He does those things. So He interprets those actions for us, again, in His Word. And so you want to know God, you have got to go to the Word of God. We can only know Him as He has revealed Himself to us in His Word. Any knowledge of God that is not in conjunction with and not consistent with the Word of God is a lie and a deception of Satan. It's just that simple. Any Knowledge, any thoughts that you have of God that is not consistent with and based on Scripture is nothing but a lie and deception of Satan. If you want to learn about the only true God, you don't go to New Age guides. You don't go to these spirit guides, which are nothing but demons giving information, lies about God. You want to find out about the only true God. You don't go to the Quran and find out about the God of the only true God. You go to the Scriptures. Allah is not the God of Scripture. Allah of Islam is not the God of the Bible. Did you know Allah of the Quran, first of all, is not a trinity, only one person? Allah of the Quran is not has not sent a savior he's only sent a messenger Allah of the Quran demands that your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds if you're going to be with him the god of the Jehovah's witnesses is not the god of scripture Although they have a version of Scripture, it is a misinterpretation, and they go on other writings. You see, the God of Jehovah's Witnesses is, again, a single person. God, Jehovah. 
Jesus is a lesser God in the God of Jehovah Witnesses. And the Holy Spirit, He's just a force. He's not even a person. So that's not the God of Scripture. A Jehovah's Witness neighbor of yours says, oh, we believe in God. You say, you don't believe in the God of Scripture. You believe in the God of your own invention, your own making. Your Mormon friends don't believe in the God of Scripture. They talk about God. They talk about Jesus. But they don't believe like you believe. They believe there are many gods. In fact, they believe that the God that we worship was at one time just like you and I. A human being. And he simply progressed along the level of moving toward being better and better. And he was so good in this life that he graduated to Godhood when he died. And if he had a good wife, she gets to go along with him. And he got his own planet, which is Earth. All right? And you got all these spirit children up in heaven that need to get bodies. And so folks down here need to have a lot of children. That's why they have a lot. So those spirit children in heaven can inhabit these bodies. And they can be good and right people and embrace the Mormon faith. And then they get to have their own planets. That's the God of Mormonism. They don't tell you that when they say, oh yeah, we believe in God. We believe in Jesus. Mormons believe Jesus and Lucifer are brothers. They have no concept of three persons, one God. No concept of the Trinity. It is not the God of Scripture. The only true God is the God who reveals Himself in the Bible. You want to know God, you go to the Word of God. You hunger to know Jesus in a deeper way. You hunger to know the only true God. You go to the pages of Holy Scripture. You don't go to B. Dalton's. You don't go to... to Barnes and Noble, you don't pick up a book written by a human being and try to understand the true God. You go to the Word of God. And you go to books that have been written based on the truth of God's Word, not on some vision or some dream or some experience that they might have had. Peter says that this Word of God is more Secure, it is more reliable than dreams and visions. Peter says, even though we were on the Mount of Transfiguration and we saw the glory of Jesus come through so that He was brighter than the brightest sun, we still have a more sure word in the Scriptures. Paul said, even if an angel from heaven comes down and teaches you another gospel than the one I taught you, you don't believe it. Because the true word is represents and reveals God. So the only true God is, first of all, the God of Scripture. So when you're looking at false teachers, you guard yourself against them by you say, you go and find out what they believe about the God they talk about. And you make sure it squares with the Word of God, with the Scriptures of God. And when Kenneth Copeland says that God has to get permission to come down on earth, that is not the God, the sovereign God of Scripture. So first, He alone is God, is the God of Scripture. Secondly, He alone is God. Now over in Isaiah chapter 44, 
Isaiah was writing in a day when there were a multitude of gods that people believed in. Every nation had their god or their gods. And so God is speaking through the prophet Isaiah, and he's speaking to the nation of Israel, and he wants them to realize that he alone is God. That all the gods of the other nations are false gods. We pick up in Isaiah 44, beginning with verse 6. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and His Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. I am the first, I am the last. There is no God besides me. Who is like me? Let him proclaim and declare it. Yes, let him recount it to me in order. From the time that I established the ancient nation, and let them declare to them the thing, let them declare it to them the things that are coming and the events that are going to take place. Do not tremble. Do not be afraid. Have I not long since announced it to you and declared it? And you are my witnesses. Is there any God besides me? Or is there any other rock? I know of none. Now when God is revealing Himself in this passage, He is first of all revealing that He is eternal. When He says, I am the first and I am the last. He is saying that He is an eternal being. He is the first means before there was anything else, that was me. And I am the last when there's nothing else, I'll still be. I am the A and the Z. I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the first and the last. I am the beginning, I am the end. He is saying that I am an eternal being. And there is no other eternal being but Him. You and I are not eternal. We did not start until the moment of conception when God implanted a spirit within us. Now, we will continue on, but we didn't have an endless beginning. We had a place where we started. There can only be one eternal being, and that is God. Next, he points out that he is unique in verse 7. Who is like me? Let him proclaim it and declare it. Yes, let him recount it to me in order. From the time that I established the ancient nations, and let them declare to them the things that are coming and the events that are going to take place. God says, who can explain and pronounce ahead of time everything that's going to happen? Who can, at the very beginning, tell every detail exactly of what's going to happen in the future? Can any other God do that? No. He alone, who is sovereign over all things, who is all-wise, who knows all things, knows exactly what's going to happen in the future. He said, let the false gods tell the facts of creation in ancient times. They can't do it. The only reason Moses could write Genesis 1 is because God told him how everything came about. But let the false gods foretell the future with absolute accuracy. They cannot do it. Can Allah? No. Can the Book of Mormon? 
Could Joseph Smith? No, he prophesied that when we got to the moon, we would find people dressed like pilgrims up there. He cannot prophesy the future. The spirit guides of the new age cannot foretell with 100% accuracy future events. But yet, God in His Word has over and over again prophesied hundreds of years before an event would take place exactly what would happen. Just in the life, in the birth of Jesus, there were six prophecies that were fulfilled. And I'll just talk about two of them this morning. First, in Micah chapter uh, two, 5, verse 2, this was prophesied 740 years before Christ was born. Now, the Old Testament was set by the time Christ was born. It wasn't like he was born and then they said, okay, let's go back and write the book of Micah and put it in there. No, it was already completed 500 years or so before Christ was born. Now look at what Micah says. But as for you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. His going forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. God said Jesus, a Messiah, His ruler would be born in Bethlehem. Now Jesus didn't have anything to do with where He was born in that sense, right? I mean, He did because He's sovereign God. But, you know, it wasn't like uh, He could tell His parents, we need to go to Bethlehem for you to be born. But what did God do? He moved a pagan ruler to order a census, and that census was declared a few years before it was ever carried out, and happened to be carried out just at the time that Joseph, since he was from Bethlehem, had to go back to be counted, and there she had the baby Jesus in Bethlehem. Also in Isaiah chapter 7, 14, probably one of the most well-known prophecies, Therefore the Lord Himself will give you a sign, behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. The virgin birth of Jesus prophesied, again, 780 years before he was born. That would be like somebody prophesying something in the 1300s before Columbus even came over this way that was going to happen today. God knows the end from the beginning because He alone is the sovereign of all creation. He alone is God. When Daniel was taken into exile in Babylon, he was considered one of the wise men, and King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. And this dream greatly disturbed him. And so he called his wise men and he said, I want y'all to give me the interpretation of my dream. And he said, okay, king, we'll be glad to. He said, well, there's one other thing. I want you to tell me what the dream was. And then give me the interpretation. So he wasn't going to fudge and let him tell them the dream and then they come up with some interpretation. They said, no, nobody can do this. I mean, no gods can do this, can tell us these things. So he said, well, if if y'all don't tell me what the dream was and interpretation, I'm going to kill all of you. Well, word got to Daniel, and he was a wise man, and so he realized what this meant, so he went before his Lord. And 
He said, God, I need to know. I, I, I need to, please tell me what's going on here. And we pick up in Daniel 2. And Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel said, let the name of God be blessed forever and ever. For wisdom and power belong to him. It is he who changes the times and the epochs. He removes kings and establishes kings. He gives wisdom to wise men and knowledge to men of understanding. It is he who reveals the profound and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. God knows what's in the darkness just like it was broad daylight. But God revealed to Daniel not only the dream but the interpretation. So he went into Nebuchadnezzar. He said, this is your dream and this is the interpretation. None of the false gods could do that. But our God, the only God, is alone God. First, He's a God of Scripture. Secondly, He alone is God. Thirdly, He is one God. The mantra of Israel is Deuteronomy 6.4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. We have one God. To exist in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Not three gods, one God existing in three persons. Now the truth of the Trinity brings us face to face with the fact that God is incomprehensible. You cannot understand the Trinity. You cannot understand how there can be three persons, but only one God. This is not a doctrine of reason, but one of revelation. What do I mean? I mean that no one could go to the Scriptures and reason out the doctrine of the Trinity. God has to reveal that truth to us, and He has in His Word. How can the infinite be comprehended by the finite? Augustine had written 15 books on this concept of the Trinity. And the story says he had a dream after that. And in this dream, he was walking along the beach. And he saw this little boy who had dug a hole in the sand. And the little boy had a bucket. And he would go out to the ocean and he would get a bucket full of water and he'd come back and he'd pour it in that hole. And then he'd go back and he'd get another bucket and he'd come back and pour it in that hole. And Augustine said, what are you doing? The little boy said, oh, I'm emptying the ocean into this hole. And Augustine said, that's impossible. And the little boy said, no more impossible than you and your limited intelligence trying to understand the truth of the Trinity. We cannot, in our limited capacities, understand the unlimited, infinite God. The Athanasian Creed that the church came up with in 400 A.D. to try to grapple with this concept of the Trinity basically says this, And in the Trinity none is before or after another. None is greater or less than another. But all three persons are co-eternal together and co-equal. 
Now, earlier in my ministry, I would try to explain to people about the Trinity. And I have used some very faulty examples. I say, well, you know, it's kind of like a, a, a three-leaf clover. You know, you got three different aspects, but it's just one clover. Oh, I'd say something like, well, you know, it's kind of like water. It can exist in three states, right? Liquid, gas, and solid. All right, three different states, but it's just water. Don't even pay a bit of mind to anything like that. I have long since said we can't understand it. We shouldn't try because when we try to explain it to people, we so fall short of the reality of it, we misrepresent it. Anything I can tell you is so far from the reality of it, it misrepresents it and leads you in the wrong direction. Modalism, you heard it? Okay, I'm a father, I am a pastor, and I am a son. Right? But I'm just one person. Well, see, that falls down right there. That, the church has declared that as heresy years, hundreds of years ago. You cannot get your mind around it. But you don't have to, praise God. Just accept and believe. Because the truth of the Trinity is witnessed in Scripture over and over and over again. In the incarnation of Jesus, we have the Trinity showing up. Look in verse 35 of Luke 1. The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit, person 1, will come upon you, and the power of the Most High, person 2, God the Father, will overshadow you, and for that reason the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God, the third person. Here we have the Trinity. Three persons, one God. Not only in the birth of Jesus, but at His baptism, the Trinity is seen in Matthew 3. After being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and lighting on him. There you have God the Son, God the Spirit, and God the Father shows up. And behold, a voice out of heaven said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, God the Father, all showing up. Also, in the atonement, for our sins, we see the Trinity. In Hebrews chapter 9, we read, How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit, offered Himself without blemish to God the Father, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. Three persons, one God, bringing about our salvation. And then look in 1 Peter chapter 1. We see it again in verse 2. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with His blood, may grace and peace be yours in fullest measure. Three persons, one God. The only true God is the God of Scripture. The only true God alone is God. There is no other. And the only God is one God. Now what does that say to me and you? What's the application of this truth? First, because there is only one true God, salvation can only be found in 
him. No place else. No place else can you find salvation. Jesus said, I am the way, not a way, not one of many ways, but I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. Right? There is no other way to come to the only true God but through His Son, Jesus. You can't go through Islam. You can't go through Mormonism. You can't go through the Jehovah's Witnesses. The only way to go to God is through Jesus Christ, His Son. Because He is the only God, salvation is only in Him. Acts 4.12 And there is salvation in no one else. Don't think you can go to New Age movement and find salvation. Don't think you can go to some spiritual conference, spirituality conference, and get in touch with your inner self and find salvation. Don't think you can go to the Mormon church and find salvation. Don't think you can find salvation in the Word of Faith movement. There is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men whereby we must be saved. Jesus is the only way. And apart from Him, you are undone and lost for eternity. I don't care what you believe. I don't care how sincere you are in what you believe. If you don't believe in Jesus, you are not going to heaven. He is the only way, the only true God. Next implication. Since He is the only true God, He requires, commands our supreme love and absolute obedience. What else demands your supreme love? Does your job, does your job deserve your supreme love? No. Does your bank account, does your money worthy of your supreme love and absolute obedience? Is your family even worthy of your supreme love and absolute obedience? No. The only God, the true God alone, is worthy of our supreme love and absolute obedience. Jesus said the greatest of all the commandments. If you can only do one thing in life, this would be the thing you should do. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. That's it. Because He is the only true God, He commands, He requires, He deserves. Your absolute surrender of your will to Him and your love Him. Give your life to Him. It means that we are to honor Him above all. It means we are to obey Him above all. It means we are to reverence and fear Him above all. Now can I get personal for a moment if I hadn't been already? As we look at your checkbook, does it show that you love Him above all? we look at the way you spent your week, your time this past week, does it reveal that you love Him above all? That you love Him supremely? 
We look back at the conversations that you had this past week. Do they show a supreme love for the only true God? Jude says, and to the only God. He is the God of Scripture. Go to the Scriptures. And as you obey the Scriptures, He will reveal Himself to you in greater and deeper ways. He alone is God. That's no, no. Don't be looking for anybody. Don't waste your time anywhere else. And He is one God. Let's pray. We do welcome you, and I'm glad that you have taken the opportunity to listen to a sermon on our internet. And I want you just to know that uh, everybody in the church is not like me. Uh, I have these fellows up here, our leadership team. Uh, this is Filiberto Medina, who is our Hispanic pastor. And our Hispanic congregation meets every Sunday evening at 6.30. This is Paul Kumar. He is our Minister of Community Connections. Uh, and to my left is Mark Baker who heads up our Reformers Unanimous Ministry, which is a Christian addiction recovery program that meets every Friday night at 7 o'clock. So if you live in the Mableton area, uh, and it doesn't matter what race you're from, it doesn't matter your cultural background, I want you to know you are welcomed at Westside Church. This is where everybody is somebody and Jesus is Lord. Hope you'll join us soon. Thank you for being with us for this message. Each week, Dr. Stewart gives practical applications and ways to live out the Word of God. If you would like more information, please take a moment to view our website at wbcfamily.org. That's wbcfamily.org.